Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Jack Shannon, the founder and CEO of Recess. Jack has a great story about starting a concert and festival touring business and how that morphed into a tech company that he runs today. It's a fun listen and even involves a cold email to Mark Cuban. Okay, let's get into it. All right, Jack, Jack Shannon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a rainy Thursday afternoon in LA. We're cooped up inside because of Corona. So uh, nice to be seeing your beautiful, bright smile, Jack. Yeah, absolutely. I'm... uh... From the Midwest originally, so no stranger to the rain, and often appreciate a rainy day in LA. Um, even in the time of Corona, it's not it's not bad to have some have some variety. So it's nice. Totally. So you said you you grew up in the Midwest, and then you you stayed out there. You went to IU for school, right? Yep. Yeah, I, I grew up uh, in a suburb uh, around Chicago, and then yeah, went to Indiana, and then moved out to Los Angeles right after right after I graduated, summer after I graduated. And uh, what made you do that? Uh, I had interned in LA for a couple of summers. So I had studied finance at, at Indiana, but became interested in the entertainment industry. Always grew up like into movies and was a big movie buff. And so I had the opportunity to intern at a film finance company uh, summer after my sophomore year, and then came back out again the the, the next summer as well. And just got interested in the entertainment industry and opportunities there that were different from the opportunities that were out of IU. And so just kind of seemingly had seemed you just have to kind of pack your stuff up and move out there and, and kind of figure it out. Uh, so that's, that's what I did uh, in August after, after I graduated. Super interesting industry. I mean, were you working in like a mail room or, or an assistant to some kind of job like that? Yep. Yeah, I went. Uh, I started. I think my first job. I was Jerry Bruckheimer's fifth assistant. So that allowed me basically the only thing I could do was like go reheat his food and then bring him his food, and then just sit around in case anything else needed to be like delivered or taken anywhere. So I did that for, I think, like five weeks, and uh, it was really an interesting experience. And uh, but yeah, then I was lucky enough to connect with an alumni from Indiana University, uh, a woman by the name of Sue Nagel, who's running HBO at the time. And she had met with a, a group of students from IU when I was in school. We set up like a networking trip to go out to Los Angeles and meet with different people that were alumni that were in the industry. So uh, I emailed her and said, hey, I've moved out here and knew that I wanted to go work at a talent agency. I'd gotten some advice from somebody that I, I had interned for previously who said that's kind of like the, the boot camp if you want to go work in entertainment, either go to New York and get a traditional finance job and then come back out here, or you can just go 
go work in the mailroom and, and that's like the best place to learn for a couple of years and kind of figure out what you, what you might want to do. So, um, so Sue had previously worked at, at, uh, United Talent Agency and passed my resume along there and, and I got an interview and that's where I started working. Cool. And that's the typical mailroom job, right? Yeah. It was like running around, delivering packages, delivering mail. It, it, I mean, it's, it was also really fun because you're working with 150, 200 people all relatively around your same age and uh, everybody's trying to kind of figure it out and find their way. And yeah, instantly after hitting the mailroom, it's like, how can I find a way to get out of the mailroom and get onto, you know, start working for an agent and figure out, you know, kind of what you wanted to do in that direction. So that was my first goal was kind of get, you know, figure out the lay of the land and then figure out where I might want to go and make yourself useful and available to the people that work in that department that you think you might want to work in and just kind of always be volunteering for those opportunities that come about in that, you know, general space. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of like going to high school for the first time or college for the first time. And you got to like figure out the lay of the land and then figure out, you know, how you can add value there. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, cause I started my career and the other piece of it on the wall street investment banking side. And, you know, there's the same sort of thing. You're just gonna like, you're paid to be like an eager, hardworking person with a smile. Um, right. But you come out of it with, uh, you know, like a skill set of understanding, like, how to build financial models and company presentations and that sort of thing. Your uh, skill set that that you come out of it with is just like a general understanding of the industry, how it works, how to how to like schmooze and talk, and like how like where you need to go, and then the the connections, which like are the the skill set in in the in the entertainment industry, right? Yeah, I think the the greatest benefit it. it there wasn't any one particular thing that I think you learned. I think that you can read books about how the entertainment industry works, but there's no better education than just listening into your boss's ear for a year and really getting to see how the sausage is made, like how movies get put together, how TV shows happen, um, and like the nuances of how that industry functions and how people get business done day to day. So I think that's you know, I can't, if somebody's interested in entertainment, like I can't recommend the experience enough. Like it's, it's fun. It's stressful. It's, um, there's like movies and books dedicated to like horrible, terrible horror stories around it and people that have terrible bosses and, and all that. And that definitely, you know, can happen on occasion. But, um, I think it's like, you know, people say it's like grad school for the entertainment industry in a lot of ways, but I think it's, it does kind of throw you, into it and learning through osmosis and being able to just hear how that operates, it gives you a, a you know a better understanding of, of how the the you know the whole landscape kind of functions. Got it. Yeah, love it. Cool. So uh, so what's next? Where do you where do you go after that? Um, yeah, so I, I worked at UTA for a year and a half, and I worked in the motion picture lit department for a year, and then saw a lot of things that were happening in, in digital and digital in, and, you know, this was back in like 2009, like it was kind of pre pre YouTube and Instagram and there were like blogs and there were video games, but it was just kind of ramping up. So the digital department was, uh, you know, a group of folks that were all working on different, interesting kind of emerging things where there wasn't clear set business models necessarily or processes or, or a lot of hierarchy. So that was, interesting and attractive. And so I went to go work there for 
a couple of different folks and, and got to learn, um, I think, more of the entrepreneurial side of it. That uh, that department at the time was kind of you just in, made your own business and invented like a way to to bring value to the company. So that was really appealing uh, to me personally. And while I was there, uh, I connected with a, a, a buddy of mine from college. Uh, and at the time, uh, previously when we were in school, both of us had organized different large scale events. I had organized like a campus uh, movie festival and he had worked on a concert. And so I uh, connected and, and decided that we wanted to start to throw uh, just like a single concert or festival um, back at Indiana. He was still in school. I was, I was out in Los Angeles. So I kind of figured out how the agency world works, how people got booked for certain things. It was like kind of something I didn't know at the time when I was in college. But um, yeah, so connected with him and we threw our first event with back in the day with LMFAO and Mike Posner and a handful of other other artists that were popular 10 years ago, but um, it was really successful. And I was, you know, kind of able to work on it during nights and weekends and, and things around the, the agency and thought that would be a great kind of side thing to do while I didn't get paid very much as an assistant to kind of supplement the income. Um, and so we came back and did that the next year and did it a little bit bigger with uh, Pretty Lights and a few other artists and it was even more successful. And then um, you know, at the time I think saw that kind of starting to take off and, uh, we were working in the dance music EDM space, which was also getting really popular at the time. And so decided to, rather than continuing to progress within the agency to, to take a risk and, um, you know, leave UTA and start off with my, my business partner and, um, just start throwing, uh, concerts and festivals full time. We'd created a a brand that we thought you know we could build and have that tour around to all different college campuses beyond just Indiana University, and so yeah, so that you know made the leap in like the summer of 2011, and for the next like two and a half years, spent that time organizing different events and festivals, and and certainly learned a lot about the the live music business uh, in a very short amount of time. Interesting, Jack. I'm I'm excited to hear more about that. But firstly, um, were you an entrepreneurial like kid person? Were your parents entrepreneurs? Like when you got these like you know entertainment jobs at big companies, do you think oh, I'm going to go like just rise up the the ranks here and become an entertainment executive? Or you always knew that like this was just like a means to an end until I found some you know entrepreneurial startup that I could go like jump off on. No, I didn't really think I necessarily set out to become an entrepreneur or, you know, start my own thing. I was pretty set on becoming a talent agent and working in entertainment and, and going down that route. I mean, growing up, I like had a long mowing business, like did random things, sold like t-shirts online. So it was definitely always trying to think up different ways to you know, start small businesses or make side money or different things like that. So, um, that always appealed to me and in college took independent studies that were focused on, you know, starting businesses and things like that, but, um, was pretty set on just kind of going down the agent track when I moved out to Los Angeles. Um, so yeah, didn't really set out to do it. And even when we started doing it, didn't expect to have it become the full-time thing or, or anything like that. Um, so just kind of, and really just kind of fell into it. 
That's interesting. And I mean, it seems like this is what, I mean, we'll find out more, but it seems like this is what you were meant to do. You were put on earth to be an, an entrepreneur. So could you imagine like having stayed and become a, uh, a talent agent? Do you think that would have been a good path for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it still would have been uh, really interesting. And, and I think even if I had stayed at UTA, I probably would have gotten involved. I mean, the company now does so many different interesting things. So right. I definitely think uh, in an alternative reality, you know, could have could have stayed and been really happy, you know, building building things and working on different businesses, because I think that's, you know, that's the most interesting thing at, at the end of the day, um, is just getting to be involved kind of at the at the earlier stages when a lot of that stuff's happening. And, and you know, that, that they certainly do a lot of that now there as well. Right. Okay. So, uh, and your co-founder of this event business, was he also in Los Angeles? Uh, not originally. No, he was still, uh, he was, uh, still back at Indiana. So he was a year younger than me. So I was, I had moved out and he was back there. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely, there, there were definitely a few times where like, I would, you know, on my lunch break, like call over to WME across the street from the UTA phone. And they'd, they'd be like, is this, is this UTA calling? And, and I'd have to say, no, 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 I'm calling from Indiana, you know, to book this artist for this event. And they'd be like, are you sure you're not calling from UTA? So it was, <laughs> um, but it, you know, that was a, a, a one-time thing. I mean, it was very much a, a nights and weekends endeavor for me. And then, um, you know, my, my business partner Deuce was, was pretty full-time planning and executing and, and running a lot of that stuff back, back on the home turf. Right. Pretty cool. Um, the co-founder of my business started a, a college travel company. So I mean, not the, not the same thing, but, uh, I know a lot about what you guys did. So, so interesting. So I want, I want to hear about the, the evolution of, uh, the event business, like how'd it go? Yeah, it, it went, um, it was really, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a lot of respect for event organizers, um, because we did it for a number of years and it is, uh, it's a really tough business. I mean, promoters are, uh, definitely have it pretty hard out there sometimes in terms of, you know, they take all the risk and they don't have that much upside and, and reward at the end of the day. So we started out just uh, really just finding opportunities, finding open plots of land or places where we could stage uh, events that were, you know, five, 10,000 people booking artists, doing the marketing. Um, so it was, it was really successful when we did it in Indiana. And then when we started to move outside to Arizona state or different places, um, you know, a lot of the shows didn't, didn't do as well. And, uh, so there were some where it was like, wow, this is, this is great. I mean, it was part of what gave me the confidence to leave UTA. It was the first three shows we did sold out and we thought, Oh, this is, this is easy. But right. Why is everybody a concert promoter? Like you just book the acts, you put the tickets on sale and they sell and you make money and, <laughs> and it's awesome. Um, and then, you know, the next two or three shows after that, we lost, thousands of dollars. Um, and after having put in like a lot of energy and time and effort, that's, you know, really demoralizing. And, and so, um, you know, we had a couple of, couple of bad shows and, and a couple of things that just, you know, without having like a, a large financial backing to kind of get a touring festival and property off the ground and with no sponsorship support either, it's just not a very viable business. Uh, at least it wasn't for us, or we, we, we weren't very good at, at, at growing it. So um, around like 2013, uh, we were trying to figure out a way we could shift the, the business model so that we were not selling the tickets and taking the risk and being on the hook if the show didn't sell well. We were still 
you know, we're still relatively close to a college age and that was still the audience we were going after. So we wanted to create a, a, a similar concept, but one that would be appealing to universities and so that they could book the show from us. We would package it up with our concept and with a, an artist and, and other things and then sell that to a university program board that's putting on content and programming um, so that they would assume all the risk and we wouldn't have to sell tickets like the shows would, would effectively be free. And then we could sell in brand sponsors on top of that. And that's where we can make our money as a company from, from the sponsorship side of it. So, um, so in 2013, we, uh, you know, came up with this new concept, which we, at the time we called the recess music and ideas festival because shark tank was really taking off. Like I think the social network came out. So it was really, you know, being an entrepreneur was like in the zeitgeist and it was very much like a, a thing to do. And so, um, the program that we created, was kind of like a one part career fair during the day. And we brought a bunch of cool startups on the road with us that were looking to recruit college students. Um, we'd then have like a speaker series. So we'd have, um, Diplo sit down with the head of music from Twitter, or we'd have the chain smokers sit down and talk to you an entrepreneur. It was kind of like a Ted talk yeah, know, cool. kind of vibe to it. Um, and then we'd have a, a college pitch competition. So students that had startups could then pitch their businesses to those guest speakers and they would, you know, one person would get chosen from each of the shows. And then there was a national finals where the top, top student entrepreneurs would all be flown out to Las Vegas or Los Angeles and they, you know, could win funding and prizes and introductions and, and all that. Um, so that was, you know, it was kind of like a March madness for startups. And then at the end of the, the night we had a, a concert by the Chainsmokers or Diplo or, or, you know, some big artist. So yeah. It was kind of, you know, we built it as like a traveling South by Southwest on a college campus. It was, um, you know, it was also a way to make EDM and dance music palatable to major sponsors like Amazon and Microsoft and Southwest Airlines and, and you know, people that didn't want to touch our, our, our music festival with a 10 foot right. pole were now interested because it was about supporting entrepreneurship, you know, tap, you know, supporting young people with new ideas. And so it, it opened us up to a whole different range of, of sponsors and advertisers that would be interested in, in the program that we had. So, um, so yeah, and we were, you know, as we were starting that process, we were, we had never raised money into the company. We had just kind of created these shell LLCs for each tour and each thing that we did. And so while we were getting that off the ground, we, uh, were looking for startups that we wanted to join us on the tour. And we, myself and my co-founder, both being Indiana alums, we decided to reach out to one of our uh, famous alumni, Mark Cuban. So we, we found his email on the Dallas Mavericks website, shot him a blind email and said, Hey Mark, you know, we have this tour. We probably have a lot of portfolio companies that might be interested in reaching this audience. And would you be interested in having them join us or sponsor or do anything like that? And he wrote back and said, no, but I'd, I'd be interested in investing in the company. Um, and so Mark, uh, after some, some email back and forth, um, and we found a lawyer that, you know, a startup lawyer that could help us specifically structure something around that. So, um, Mark became our first investor, um, and put the first like kind of equity money into the business. And, um, you know, has been helpful along the way, obviously being in, in the live event space, he's, um, pretty well known, um, for, you know, the Mavs and Shark Tank and everything else. So, um, you know, that, that kind of helped us get our start that, that helped us transition from, you know, the, the event product promotion company into being a, you know, a kind of long-term sustainable business. So, 
Um, yeah, I think like without that Indiana connection, I don't know if, I don't know if you would have written back to our emails. We are certainly thankful for it. Um, I mean, so, was it, was it made out how, how you sound, how you just described that as like, you kind of emailed one person and he responded back and said, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in investing or did you email lots of people and conversations? And I mean, like, was it, was it, um, we, we, no, we, at the time we weren't, we weren't setting out to raise money. So you went um, one for one with Mark Cuban. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm sure we emailed different people and asked, Hey, do right. you have, you know, portfolio company, do you have startups that are targeting this audience? We certainly did a lot of cold email from like a sales and sponsorship perspective. That was the first one that turned around and said, no, I don't want to buy your sponsorship, but I'm interested in, in investing. I guess that's the way to do it. It's like when you're not looking for money, you can raise money. And then when you are looking for money, it's like, oh no, go away. Yeah. 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 We had uh, one of our earliest guest speakers, uh, entrepreneur by the name of Corey Levy. He's, he's famous. I think he's in a Pitbull song now for that quote, ask for money, get advice, ask oh, for advice, yeah. get money twice. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that was totally the case in that, in that instance. And I've, I've certainly found that to be the case, uh, you know, moving forward. And then did you, after Mark came in, we, did other people want to invest? Is like, has he been helpful in your business? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's been, uh, incredibly helpful. I mean, I think just having him involved, it, it lended the company a lot of credibility early on and, and, you know, continues to still this day. I mean, um, I've been, you know, shocked at, at how he's invested in so many things, but he's also really accessible. And, and people ask me now how to get in touch. And I just say like, just email him. Like if, he, if he's interested, he'll write back. He, I don't know how he reads all his emails, but he reads uh, a lot of his emails. So, um, but yeah, I mean, he's been incredibly helpful making, you know, we'll get an email from Mark with a random introduction to, you know, some, you know, incredible person who, who can help our business. And, um, you know, so yeah, he's been, really helpful. Um, and, and certainly has a lot of experience in our space and a lot of credibility in that space too. So, um, you know, been helpful with introductions and strategy and kind of every, everything across the board. Amazing. So, uh, the business sounds so cool. So tell us like, is it, how has it evolved to what it is today? Yeah. So we, we ran the, the music and ideas festival tour for about three years. So, um, about two and a half years ago, we were working with uh, a brand that was coming over from the UK that was, uh, launching in, in Nordstrom. And, and we were talking to them about our tour and trying to get them to sponsor. And they said, you know, this tour is really interesting, but it, it doesn't fit where we have Nordstrom distribution. So it's just not interesting to us. Like we'd love it. We'd love to be a part of it, but it doesn't make sense for our business. And so rather than letting that revenue go, we decided to reach out to a few universities in those markets that we had worked with previously, but we weren't working with like on our one particular tour that time around. Um, and then we did that with Kindbar and a few other partners and, and we looked at the numbers and we had our, our tour business that it took our team six months to produce, monetize, do all that ourselves. And then there were these four deals over here um, where we didn't produce the event, we just sold the sponsorship into another event that we previously worked with. And we looked at the numbers and on an, a, a gross and net revenue per hour worked, it was like 8,000 times more efficient in the new model to, you know, just facilitate that transaction and not actually be responsible for producing and booking the talent and doing all those other things against our own inventory. And so we, um, you know, about, I guess like two, two and a half years ago now went back to, our board and said, you know, we, we obviously love this, this thing that we've built and it's, uh, been, you know, successful and we could keep building it, but we believe that 
there's a much bigger opportunity rather than continuing to monetize our own assets. How can we build a tool and a platform that can help all event organizers out there um, further monetize on their unsold sponsorship inventory and, and help them in the same way that we kind of struggled through figuring out all these brand relationships and how agencies and brands and how it all fits together. Um, you know, we had a lot of peers and, and other people that we kind of, you know, came up with at the same time that um, it looked like there could be an opportunity to provide value on that front. And so we, you know, basically for the second time completely, you know, reinvented the business and changed our model and, um, you know, took the company down and essentially have built it back up as a technology company with, you know, majority software engineers, um, as opposed to, you know, more like brand marketing and, and, and that type of folks. So, um, yeah, so the company today, it's still called Recess. There's no more Recess Music and Ideas Festival. It's just Recess. And we're a, an online marketplace connecting brands and agencies to event organizers to streamline targeted sponsorship opportunities. So kind of like a, an ad network for live event and and, uh, and experiential marketing. So connecting those, those two sides together. Right. So Jack, give us a quick little example. There's going to be an event at UCLA, some kind of fair for I don't know, careers and, and so then you you can bring in you can like sell the unsold the uh, spots to to the brands you have relationships with. Yeah. So it's kind of like uh almost like an Airbnb style style platform. So we have so yeah we have UCLA and and four hundred other colleges and universities and now um moving outside of the university space as well, given everything that's going on with with COVID nineteen we're expanding into virtual events, um, as well as in-person events outside of college when, when events do come back. Um, but yeah, those event organizers can come onto our platform. They can sign up, they can list, uh, all the different events and inventory that they have going on throughout the year. And then they also price, um, all the kind of standardized ad, ad units that we've created that we list and we enable them to sell on our marketplace. And then we have, um, you know, hundreds of, of brands and agencies on the other side that, have a buy side tool that they can log in and say, you know, I'm trying to reach you know, women 21 to 35 in New York, Chicago, and Miami that are into yoga and active lifestyle. And our tool can return all of those relevant results. And we make it really easy for brands and agencies to buy um, lots of those different programs and opportunities all in a really easy, you know, one-stop shop type tool. Super cool. Really cool. Thanks. And have you had to raise more money for this for this new iteration of the business, or were you able to take the you know the bootstrapping from the old business and turn it into this? Yeah, no, we've uh, we have raised uh, yeah we raised about a million dollars kind of in our, our old model, um, and since then we just closed a three point seven million dollar seed round for for the new business. Awesome. So um, so yeah, so we've definitely you know spent a lot of time over the last two and a half years, and um, you know this has been uh, quite the road bump with, uh, with COVID-19 coming yeah. out. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's really sad because, you know, having been an event organizer and I, you know, we had events cancel back in the day. Like I know the, the issues and, and what, you know, problems that can cause. And I know there's a lot of event organizers out there that are struggling right now. So, um, you know, we're, we're adapting our tool to support virtual events. We're also looking at how we can be working with brands and advertisers to be supporting, um, you know, all those independent event organizers as we can, you know, hopefully this industry can, can stand itself back up when it's safe to do so and kind of get out of the gate. So we're, we're hoping that, um, you know, we can be a tool for, 
for uh, brands and agencies that want to get out there and support and you know get things going back again when uh, when it's it's when it's okay to do so. Amazing. Well, Jack, I'll get you out here on this last question. A lot of people that listen to this podcast are are in college or recently were in college, um, so you can you know give them uh, some advice, maybe you know things that they should be you know looking out for, thinking of as they kind of you know go about getting their uh, their first jobs, and then if there's anything that would be provide value to you and your business that they could do. That'd be cool too. Yeah. I mean, I think I can't, uh, I can't undersell the impact of cold emails. Um, I still send a lot of cold emails myself, but I think like, uh, uh, and you know, when I was back in 2009, like there was no LinkedIn, like now you can, you can look for people that work at the companies that you're interested in or the industries that you're interested in that went to your university. You can send them a direct, you know, connect through LinkedIn or, or, you know, probably find other ways to locate their email or through your alumni database. So, um, I think if there are ways you can connect with those people, um, authentically, when I did it, I started a club. And so it allowed me to reach out to them and say, Hey, do you want to join a virtual, you know, hangout with our club so we can ask you questions for 15 minutes? Um, so it was kind of an excuse to, to reach out to people without needing to directly ask for an internship or, or something like that. So that, you know, was, something that was beneficial for me in terms of reaching out to people in entertainment from Indiana that I didn't know any of those people before. So I think, um, I think, you know, leveraging the fact that you're in college and, and most people, not everybody, but like if you ask a bunch of people, there'll be a handful of people that will give you 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, no matter what, just because you asked them and you went to their university and, you know, you asked in a way that you showed some interest around what they're, what they're, doing or, or something like that. So, um, I think, you know, don't be afraid to reach out and, and, you know, leverage the cold email. Um, and for us, um, you know, we're definitely looking for, uh, a couple interns this summer, despite the, the probably remote nature of what those are looking for. So, um, you know, we're, we're on, uh, LinkedIn and AngelList and, um, different places that we're hiring. So, um, if anybody out there is, interested in learning more about recess, you know, ch- check out, check out our pages there. Awesome. Well, Jack, this was fun speaking with you, man. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends. Thanks. Thanks.